the After Work Drinks Club, a business podcast where I chat with influential movers and shakers, top achievers, and all-round incredible people. We explore how they've got to where they are and how you can too. If you want to level up, go make your order at the bar, pull up a seat at the table, and join in, because you belong here. I'm your host, Vanessa Sanyauke, the founder and CEO of Girls Talk London a global agency that empowers thousands of women to develop the skills and confidence to succeed in their careers and life. So if you're listening on your morning commute with a coffee, working from home with a cup of tea, or joining us for after-work drinks, consider this your time to laugh, learn, and level up. On the podcast today, we have award-winning author and business leader, Joe Owen. You don't need to be a, a genius or brilliant to have a great idea to start a business or anything, because actually ideas are being chucked at us the whole time. And you don't even need to be an expert in the area. You, you've just got to be listening or looking and reading. The ideas whack you in the face. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the After Work Drinks Club. I'm so happy to have you here once again. I'm really happy to share that I'm a brand ambassador for Blue Water for this series. Today, I'm drinking their fiery ginger beer with a bit of rum. So cheers to you. I'm so glad to hear that you're getting so much from the podcast so far. Thank you so much for the reviews and messages. I received this lovely message from Becca Duck on Instagram, who wrote to me and said that she accidentally stayed up until 1am listening to one of our episodes. She said it was the first of your podcast that I've listened to and it was great. Thanks. Thank you so much, Becca. That really means a lot to me. Today, we have a real actionable episode on how we can excel both working from home and in the workplace. Award-winning author Joe Owen practices what he preaches. He is the founder of eight NGOs with a combined turnover of over £100 million per year, including Teach First, which became the largest graduate recruiter in the UK. He has worked with over a 100 of the best and a couple of the worst organisations on our planet. All of that to say, Joe has a lot to teach us. And today, we're diving into his new book, Smart Work, the ultimate handbook for remote and hybrid teams. One of my favourite things about Joe is his incredible passion for leadership, his courage and his outlook on failure, making mistakes and how he actively tries to face hard situations up front with grace. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please don't forget to follow this podcast and subscribe wherever you are listening and leave a review. Well, Joe, welcome to the After Work Drinks Club. How are you? I'm great. All the better for being with, with, with you and the After Drinks uh, Club as well. It's great. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm not sure about the work club. I like the After Drinks Club. Actually. Exactly. Minus the bit, work. Yeah. Minus the work. <laughs> and yeah, as, yeah, as you know, we have a um, virtual bar. So what would you typically order if we were at a bar? It doesn't have to be alcohol. It could be, well, it could be soft drink. No, no, well, that depends what sort of bar I'm at. Yeah. But I'll tell you something. 
if I get a chance for a glass of champagne, that's it. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know that's... Oh, I know. I, mean, I love champagne. It, I, I love champagne. <laughs> I love champagne. Okay, that's great. So you're ordering a, a glass of champagne. Um, my kind of guy, yeah, my yeah. kind of guy. And we also ask all of our guests to toast to their highlight of the year so far. So if you could think back, what would be your highlight of the year so far Ooh. so we could toast to this? Surviving. Yes. I think, I mean... <laughs> After a year like this, I am just so happy to have survived with 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 my sense of humour nearly intact. I mean, yeah. that's pretty good, you know. So I'm really happy happy with that. So you know, surviving with a sense of humour. Let's let's toast to that. That's let's always toast to that. Brilliant. Good. Cheers. We'll do a virtual clink. There we go. Cheers. Brilliant. There you go. Clink clink. Um, Yes, I'm really excited to have you on. I've read your book, Smart Work, which I want to get into. I don't want to give too much away to the listeners, uh, but I want to get into some of the core principles so that they go out and and sort of get a copy. Uh, But I want to take a step back and talk about your career, which I found really interesting when doing a research and reading your bio. So, you know, you apparently, so you became the best nappy salesman in Birmingham. What is that all about? And it was all down, it's been all downhill, <laughs> downhill since from there. then. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, until this interview, I'm on the way back now. So it's, it's just great. So look, yeah, so the best nappy salesman in Birmingham, I, this was at the launch of Pampas. So that dates me, doesn't it? Yeah, they got everyone out to sell stuff. And yeah. I sell, sold so much into the chemists of Birmingham that I've never dared be back to Birmingham because I think that's, they've probably got a contract on my head at the moment. <laughs> yeah. um, but what really worked was um, uh, the demonstration. Uh, and, and when I threatened to do a demonstration, most of them didn't buy. They just surrendered at that point because they really didn't want me coming and doing the demonstration. That is. Anyway, <laughs> if they didn't surrender at that point, I did the demonstration. Then whole, I held yeah, the Pampers and the competing product. I said, go, go on, feel the difference. And I just, no, no, well, I'll buy. I'll just, just oh, I see. I'll buy. So you Get kind of just here. had <laughs> that awkward kind of let me show you how to sort of use the Pampers. And then they were just, okay, no, 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 that's fine. Yeah. order. No, no, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just. I'll do whatever it takes. Just get out. It's <laughs> actually quite <laughs> funny. Wonderful. I mean, but what did you what did you learn from being a salesman then back in back in the day? Oh, oh look, well, I, I I mean, everyone should be a salesman at some point because you 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 encounter all of humanity, the very best of humanity, the very worst of humanity. But there's one thing you really learn actually, which is really good, which which no training program can ever ever teach you. It's the art of the hustle. Just get out there and hustle and make stuff happen. And if you're in a large corporation, you, you kind of, it's very easy to think, well, you just sort of go along with, you know, whatever's happening and you just sort of drift along. Whereas actually, you can't afford to do that. You've got to hustle. You've got to make things happen. And like, where's the training program on hustle? It doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. And some people get it and others don't. And, and you kind of got to put yourself out there. And, and, and until you've done it, you know, yeah, yeah. people have done it. They go, oh, yeah, that's what it's all about. And people who haven't done it go, huh, what? Um, and, and also, it's great for credibility, surprisingly. You know, yeah. I, um, so because, you know, I can actually talk to salespeople. I've got the war stories and all that sort of stuff, which, which, is, which is great. So, so it's a, it was a lot of fun pretty bruising but you know stories to last a lifetime and you know and, and actually that's great isn't it because um look th- this is one of the things about leadership right let's let, 
here's a secret about leadership because I'm a complete anorak about leadership. I spent 20 years uh, um, studying it. Most, you know, most anoraks uh, study trains and all that sort of stuff. I, I, I study leadership, leadership yeah. and I get really excited about that. Um, and I forget what I was going to say, but anyway, um, look, I'll tell you what. Here's what I will say. Yeah. But Literally. I want to kind of go, go, go back to that because it. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, yes. Well, because I think okay. cause, you know, right. Right. Oh, yeah. right. if we go okay. back to that, because your salesman thing is quite interesting because it kind of leads on to okay. entrepreneurship. Because because yeah. I've gone into full time entrepreneurship recently, and what I've realised is actually you do have to become a salesperson, whether you're selling a product, yes. or you're selling yourself, or you're selling your business even yes. if it's the clients or you're yes. trying to sell to someone to work yes. with you. I feel like my day-to-day, I'm selling a lot on, on a day-to-day. And so I think it's really interesting that you said that you were a salesman but, but, but look, all, all, Well, what, here's one of the things that you know, people look down on se- selling because they think it's all a bit, you know, like tradesmen and all that sort of stuff. But I, I, there's a secret here that the more senior you become, the more you become a salesman. Yeah. yeah, CEOs are basically salespeople. They are selling their ideas to their staff. They're selling ideas and programs and initiatives to stakeholders. And if you're an entrepreneur, you're a CEO of your own business. You're selling stuff the whole place. So you're selling. So so if you want to succeed, you have to sell. And everyone goes gets terribly anxious about that and goes, oh, I can't possibly be a salesman. But but there's a there's a secret. All the best salespeople and all the best leaders. They've all got a phys- physical characteristic in common. So I'm going to see if you've got it, and, and and anyone who's listening can see if they've got this secret. Okay. All the best salespeople and all the best leaders, right, have two ears and one mouth, yeah. okay? Yeah. So I hope, you know, you pass that test. Oh, yeah. and <laughs> they use them in that proportion. Uh, they listen more. twice as much as they speak. Yeah. Everyone thinks that selling is about having a pitter-patter like me at the moment. It's not. You know, the best salespeople are devastatingly good listeners because once you listen, then you understand. And once you understand, then you can persuade. But if you're just talking, you're talking about yourself and your product and that, you know, that, look, my favourite, I love talking about my favourite subject, which is myself, right? Yeah. But actually, other people don't want to hear about me. Which I find bizarre. <laughs> they want to know about their issues, their problems, yeah. their opportunities. Yeah. And so, if you l- just listen to them, give them time. Just the act of listening is very flattering. It shows time, respect. Great. So, yeah. you know, it's one of those little secrets. That's but a really it's a good tip. Devastatingly effective. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna, Sorry. I'm gonna make right. sure I remember that. Actually, that's a really good piece of advice. And I mean, what but if... this could be a catastrophic interview if we both. If I know we both it's true. So I'm we're, gonna we're make sure. Gonna be saying <laughs> It'll be silent. So that you can break that rule for now. <laughs> but I guess, I guess it's really something for me to, to think about in terms of. Um, yeah, like sort of on my journey as entrepreneur, but I think for our listeners, a lot of them are in different stages, but work in corporate. And I think you're right, because I think yeah. in, in meetings, because, you know, I, my background, I've worked in corporate before, and I used to find, you know, in meetings that there'd be so many people just chiming in and talking for the sake of talking. But I found that sometimes the most impactful people can be the ones that are listening first and then responding rather than just jumping in and, and, and talking nonsense. That's a really good piece of advice. I so think. so let me give you one example of this. Yeah. Okay. So I was in a room with sort of eight very 
brilliant and very voluble people. And they were all arguing that each other into complete submission by you know, having these brilliant arguments that I couldn't really follow. But there was one person who wasn't saying anything. Um, and he turned out to be the smartest of them all because he was listening. And when everyone had sort of beaten themselves up completely and ground, ground to a standstill, he quietly coughed and said, well, would it be helpful if I summarised? And he started summarising. He said, well, of course, you know, Vanessa made this wonderful point earlier. And you could see Vanessa, oh, yeah, I, I, like, I like this summary. And then he said, and of course, you know, Richard over there made this fantastic point. Richard was like, oh, yeah. and, but, and he made sure he included one of the points. He'd been listening, so he could, you know, pull one point out of each person, yeah. right? And so everyone thought, oh, this is a brilliant summary. But of course, his summary was biased. It was actually about what he wanted to achieve. Uh, but he had everyone eating out of his hands. Why? Because uh -huh. he had listened. He took the time to figure out who, what, who had said what. He repeated it back to them, but did it in a way that came to the conclusion that he wanted. He wanted. And everyone loved him. <laughs> that is really and smart. He won. Everyone loved him. Ah, oh, that's a really Brilliant. good technique. That's a really good the technique. The power of listening. So, Definitely really good. And I and I want to also just touch on so um yeah. in terms of your also your buyer, interestingly, apparently you were sued for twelve billion US dollars. Yeah, that, that was happened? in the days when a billion was worth something. But twelve billion, what happened? What did <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> First of all, what did, what happened there? <laughs> it's a slightly prosaic story. So I, I was asked to join what was then Anderson Consulting as a partner, which is very unusual to just join as a partner. And 10 days after joining, I, I went to an, uh, a global conference of the partners, which was a bit like you know, the, the Russian Politburo and plenary session, because uh, not all partners are equal. The senior partner would get up and say, I'm proposing this motion, and everyone would vote in favour except for two people. So we all had to sort of vote in favour of stuff. And one of the things he said we're going to do is we're going to initiate a divorce from Arthur Anderson. Um, who then promptly uh, said, but of course, if we lose this, it's going to cost us 12 billion because they're going to sue us and it's going to lose all our IP and everything else. So I thought, I like this firm. You know, 12, I've been sued, we're now being sued for 12 billion. It's partnership, 1,200 partners. So my personal share of that is 10 million. So 10 days into the firm, I'm 10 million in the hole. I like this. This is exciting. You know? Why, why did you great. have that perspective, though? Because I would be freaking out, thinking I'd like get out of this. Why did you think that was exciting? Well, I, I was slightly disappointed. I thought, well, well, I didn't have 10 million. So I thought, well, you know, <laughs> I was slightly disappointed. I wanted yeah. them to sue me for more because it didn't make any difference. Yeah. You know, I don't care. There comes a point where it's so much, it really doesn't matter because you, you're going to be out on the street anyway. <laughs> Um, and it's just, it's, it's just exciting, yeah. you know. <laughs> so what did you learn? What did, but, but, what did you but, learn from this then? So Because that's, okay, you've been, you, well, you were joined at a really sort of difficult time, a lawsuit, yeah, look, turmoil. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, that it, it's a great experience, actually. Um, there's a slightly boring thing, which is when you get into a legal dispute, just rely on your lawyers and take the legal advice yeah. and, and don't. And don't get emotional about it because it ain't going to help, you know. And I've been faced with several other legal situations and 
yeah, I, I now just don't blink. I, I'm not bothered by it. And that always unnerves the other side completely because yeah. they get very emotional. I'm just like, no, that's how it is. Um, and and just deal with it. And and it, I mean, I, I was lucky that I've been in enough other scrapes in my life um, that, that really, you know, that, I mean, yeah, I mean, losing all your money, fine. You start again if, if, if the worst comes to the worst. You know, it's fine. You just got to have confidence in yourself. Yeah. Um, so, but, but then actually it all got slightly boring after that. So that's why I just decided to start a bank, um, which, you know, why not? I see. Uh, and how – so you've gone – okay, so you've kind of been in sales with Pampers. You've been in, I guess, yeah, consultancy, yeah. management consultancy. You've you started yeah, yeah. a bank. Uh, and then yeah. – so what was that like being Sold a banker? A whole bunch of NGOs. Yeah, and then you've gone well, from banking to to NGOs. So why did you NGO, make that move? Yeah, yeah. Well, because actually by accident. So I I am the definitive evidence that a career is both a noun and a verb. Some people are very sensible and have a career a noun. Other people like me, yeah, career is a verb. Where I career from triumph to disaster, and sometimes if I'm lucky, back again. Mm-hmm. Um, so the bit of careering that took me from banking to the NGOs, I, I, I've been sort of bought out of the banking idea at a very early stage uh, by uh, HBOS, uh, uh, and, and they went on to crash massively, uh, probably because of my idea, but anyway. Um, and I was sort of hanging around in San Francisco listening to the radio, KFOG, listening to good music like The Doors and Dire Straits, so that dates me. Um and they interrupted the interview, uh, the, the music to do an interview about a great project in San Francisco, getting teachers, to, uh, graduates to teach in the inner city. I thought, that's brilliant. I thought, being an entrepreneur, I thought, we'll bring it to the UK. So I rang the radio station, found out the name of the project, rang the Teach for America, got through Got through to the CEO straight away because I've got a fruity British accent that still works. In oh America, yeah, that does. Why. Yeah, in America, it's, it's yeah. brilliant. You just you speak in your very best British accent. Excuse me, could I speak to? Like a straight, straight. It's brilliant. Um, she put me off and said, "Look, I can't really do anything to help you because I'm a bit busy." But McKinsey have been looking at this about how to help education in London. So I called McKinsey and said, "Look, I know you're doing the study. I've got the answer. Let's talk." And what came out of that was teach first which is now the largest graduate recruiter in the UK. I mean, one or two other things had to happen in between um, and a few near-death experiences and all that. But hey, you know, um, so so the moral of that tale is that you don't need to be a a genius or brilliant to have a great idea to start a business or anything because actually ideas are being chucked at us the whole time and you don't even need to be an expert in the area. I mean, I... I didn't know anything about education. So you, you've just got to be listening or looking and reading. The ideas whack you in the face. And actually, we all, everyone, occasionally has a great idea. And the trouble is, yeah, the great idea happens over drinks like this. And then you wake up the next morning and hang on, oh, I've got to feed the cat and go to work, and the great That's idea it. dies. Yeah. But, yeah... Have that courage to sort of go, well, hang on, why don't I just see what happens if I pursue this idea a little bit more? As a side hustle to what you're currently doing, but keep on pushing it until it's clear that either it's going to work or not work. 
and you know, often it won't work, and that's fine. But then occasionally you go, actually, this one's got legs, and then you start running. I mean, it, it's you know, so so the ideas are there right now, and right now, you know, in this new world that we're emerging into, there are people creating new ideas, and in five, ten years' time, that we're all going to say, well, that was obvious, wasn't it? Yeah. And the answer is, it is obvious. Yeah. It's, sort of. You're right, you're right. I but just have the courage to go for it. Yeah, You know exactly. I quite like that, actually, uh-huh. thinking about it's not always about not reinventing the wheel, but like you said, some of the, the solutions and ideas are, are right there in front of us. You can just go, you know, go for it. You don't have to necessarily be this kind of, quote-unquote, yeah. genius and sort of, yeah, and creating yeah. things from, from and, scratch. And, and powerful people will, will listen to you. Another little story, a good friend of mine, uh, set up something, the magnificently called... University of the Desert. I mean, what a name. Isn't that brilliant? Okay. But that came about because he was reading the Times and he saw a letter from the Saudi ambassador saying, look, you Brits, you know, you've been at the democracy business for about you know 800 years and you're still trying to get there. Um, we've been trying it for the last 15 years. So give us a bit of a break. You know, we're We'll get there, but yeah, we just need a bit of time to stop being so critical. Now, if you read that, you, well, you probably wouldn't read it. I don't know. I, and if you did read it, you go, yeah, well, fine, whatever. You might read it and go, well, something ought to do something about it. Well, this bloke went, actually, that's interesting. He's calling for a bit more understanding between cultures. So he wrote to the ambassador and said, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Maybe we should think about something. Surprise, surprise. The ambassador suddenly wrote to him and said, would you like to come for a cup of tea? What? Wow, the Saudi ambassador. So he rolled up to the embassy for a cup of tea and they chatted and they chatted and they chatted. And what eventually came out of that was the University of the Desert. You know, just just by talking and listening and responding. So these ideas, they're they're just there and people are ready for them and just go for it. Uh, um, and, and every entrepreneurial idea has a story like that where it starts from some little weird spark like that or being curious but is that having that and being curious yeah. and that curiosity and courage mm-hmm. yeah curiosity and then the courage just taking that next little step it goes back to the hustle of being a salesperson as well just that, well let's let's hustle a bit see what happens you know why not give it a go and be, and be curious curious is good yeah, I think I like that sort of curiosity, courage, and, and the hustle. I think there's, I guess, three traits, yeah, yeah. I think, for being an entrepreneur. But I do want to talk about the no, book, because I'm, re- I'm really that. excited. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yes. Oh, yeah, your next book title could be that. <laughs> we've, just, we've just now figured out your, your next book title. But your current book, uh, and I know you've written so many, but your current book, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, smart work I really enjoyed it I was reading it and I was thinking it, has Joe been like reading my diary like has he been <laughs> how does he know what's going on <laughs> in my life because all of the 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 areas that I kind of struggle with you were really addressing in this book and I just learned so much as um as a leader Good. so I mentioned I'm, I've moved into full-time entrepreneurship growing my team and this there were just so many gems in there and especially now Good around you know how you know your book your, your your book covers several themes around how leaders can ensure that they can support their teams to be successful in what is now the world of work in a hybrid world or some companies actually have their employees 100% remotely and there were lots yeah. of themes in the book that really intrigued me but one of them was when you were talking about how to build networks of trust especially in a hybrid world. And can you just tell us a bit more about this, 
this area to begin okay. with? So look, trust is 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 the currency of modern leadership because in the past the currency of leadership was was formal power, it's your span of control and budget, which was actually quite limiting. It meant you had to climb the greasy pole. But in this new world, hybrid world, we've been liberated from that because it, you, know, you can't control people you don't see the whole time. So in in a world where you can't control people you, you when you don't see them and you don't hear them, you have to trust them to do the right thing when you can't hear them and see them. So trust is absolutely the essence of it. And trust and communications are possibly the two biggest challenges for both remote teams and global teams. In fact, my previous book was on global teams and was very imaginatively called Global Teams. And at one point in the research for that, it looked like the solution for getting global teams to work was to get the whole team together in one space and get them drunk. Um, And I thought, well... Uh, that's probably not a very sophisticated oh, solution for on global yeah. teams. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, it's good for after-work drinks. Yeah. <laughs> make it physical, not personal. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the problem is it's a solution that wouldn't work in the Middle East, so I had to come up with some, something slightly more sophisticated. But actually, the drinks the drinks matter. The getting to people together matters, but the drinks matter as well because it's about having that social connection. We're social animals and we need the social connection. So much as you know, I, I am an advocate of remote working and hybrid working, there's an absolute lesson, uh, uh, absolute rule here, which is that at some point you do actually need to get people together if you're going to build those bonds of trust which okay. make teams work. Now, in the absence of getting together, and you know, people have not been able to get together for two years, in some cases nearly two years, 18 months, whatever it is, you, you have to look at other things. So you have to look at you know, what builds and drives trust. And this is where I go full anorak, full nerd, so stand by. Yes. <laughs> get ready. Right, we're ready. <laughs> A trust equation is coming your way. This is pretty heavy after I say here. It's a very sophisticated <laughs> uh, equation. So look, trust is a function of alignment times credibility divided by risk. Okay, so let's okay. De- deal with each of those. Yeah. Risk. So risk is important. Um, trust is not on off. Uh, it's proportional to risk. So look, I, if I go into the street, I might, try, might trust someone to tell me the way to the post office. I might not trust them with my life, life savings. Um, you know, so so yeah. the greater the risk, the more trust you need. Kind of obvious, right? Okay, yep. So let's deal with alignment and credibility. The, the, at least how you build trust. Alignment is both social and professional. Social we talked about. You know, it's like get people together. Well, that bit we've just lost Kind of if you can't okay, get them yes. together physically. So you've really got to work on both the professional alignment and the credibility. Professional alignment is about how, do we share the same goals? I mean, how do I, how can I trust someone if they're working to a different agenda and a competing goal? Well, I can't, right? Yeah, you can't, yeah. yeah. So, which is why at work there's so much conflict. So, yeah, we all think that the competition is in the marketplace. Actually, for most managers, the real competition isn't in the marketplace. The real competition is sitting at a hot desk near you 
competing for the same limited you know, pot of management time, money, bonuses, promotion. I mean, that's a really vicious competition. So how do you build trust when people haven't got the same goals? And that's one of the biggest issues you've got in an organisation. Now, you can do that. You have to show at some point you're working towards the same greater goal and all that good stuff. So now you're left with the credibility bit. Huh. Credibility. Now, professionals, oh, we're all professionals, so how how dare you imply that I've not got credibility? Good grief, don't you realise I'm a professional? Well, actually, look, the problem with professionals isn't, it, isn't well, it's about can you do as you say? That's what credibility is all about. Do you yeah. do as you say? And for professionals, the problem is never in the doing because professionals like to do a good job. They like to overachieve. The problem yeah. is in the saying. So oh, we'll all it? say things like, look, someone comes to me and asks for a favour and say, I, I don't really want to do anything about it, but look, I go, okay, look, I'll see what I can do. I'll do my best. I'll look into it, okay? So two weeks later, I come back and say, look, I looked into it. I did my best. I thought it was possible, but, you know, I can't do anything about it. So I know I've actually gone out of my way and, you know, pulled a few favours and actually been a pretty good person sort of doing all of that. And I've just lost all my credibility. What? Why? Because what the other person heard was, he's going to do it for me. Now, I can yeah. then say, I never said I would do it. And we then get into, I said, he said, you said, you didn't mean that, but you went, no, no, no. Or that discussion, which is just toxic. So when, the, and that's always the problem. Time and time when I'm coaching people, it's that misunderstanding about who said what and all that. So look, in the corporate world, in any world, be 100% clear, crystal clear about what you're saying and what you're committing to and what you're not committing to. It's much easier to have a difficult conversation at the start, at the outset, than an impossible end. conversation at the end, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but people don't like a difficult conversation. They'll say, say things yeah, just to be really nice. Hard. It's really hard to have difficult conversations. I just yeah, want to be nice to you. Then you end up messing. I'll do my best. Yeah. You know? No, you've got to say, I don't think this is going to be possible. Yes. I'm sorry, here's the reasons why. If you want me to ask some people some questions about it, I will you know, I will ask the questions and I'll get back to you, but I'm telling you it's not going to be possible. Right. Okay. It's difficult yeah. that's a difficult You're conversation. Right. But it's better to have yeah. a difficult conversation at the beginning because otherwise you risk jeopardizing exactly. your credibility. Yeah, especially I think like yeah. in a hybrid world as well, you need to be clear. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and credibility, I mean it is like a vase. Once it's broken. It's Good. gone. Yeah. And, and you, tr you, you can try and piece it together again, but it's going to take forever and it's never going to really quite, quite be the same. And you have to spend a lot of time earning that credibility. You know, so... so that, is, that is really key. But focus on what you say. Focus yeah. on what you say is the big message. Because, yeah, everyone, everyone who listens to this is going to do their best. I mean, you know, that, yeah, that's fine. It's the saying is the problem. Saying, saying what you, yeah, exactly, make, being clear. Yeah. And you have a quote in your book, which I quite like. You said, um, you have to become the leader people want to follow, not yes. the leader they are told yes. to follow. And I really liked that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is that... Is right. that and, and look, there is, there is a solution to this. Because like, how yeah. on earth do you do that? I mean, yes, like, I was going to ask. Yeah, how? How? Yeah. All right, thank you. All right. Tell us how. Tell us how. I'll let you answer the question. <laughs> yeah, tell us okay. how. So, look. Yeah. Okay, so I now go back to being a, a, you know, the full man, right? I do this endless research. And I've got 
I've asked people hundreds and thousands of questions about leadership and, and lots of different dimensions. And I specialize in asking people what they like about their boss. So I, I, I started by asking bosses what they think makes a good boss. And that's just really irritating. It's just, yeah. They're all so full They're going to say the great so things ask, about themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they just talk about themselves. And, and they all they have are. their theory about what great leadership is. And they're just describing themselves. And it's like hopeless. So I, I now ask team members what they expect yeah. of their boss and what they think of their boss. And it's much more interesting. And... Yeah, there are a whole bunch of things that people want from their bosses. I mean, you know, like vision, being good in a crisis, decisiveness, honesty, that that sort of stuff, okay? We can go through those separately. But there's one question I would ask that's a really good predictor of are they going to be rated good as a boss and are they going to be rated good on all those different other criteria? So it's rather odd that one question is a predictor of well, is someone good at vision and motivation and decisiveness? Like, hey, what? So here's the golden question. The golden question that will determine whether you seem to be a good leader and whether people want to follow you. So, right, stand by for the golden yes, question. Yes, we're all standing by, we're ready, yeah. <laughs> my boss cares for me and my career. Agree yeah. disagree on a five-point scale. So it's as simple as that. Okay. If you're seen to be the boss that cares for the... The, the, your team members and their careers, you'll be rated well. Yep, I agree. If you're with not that. seen to care, right? And we've all been yeah. there. Bosses yeah, who care there. and don't care, and it's very obvious. And the bosses who care, they're not trying to be popular. It's not about like because pop, what, popularity is, is the way to weakness. Because the popular leader will accept excuses, and once you accept excuses, you accept failure, right? So the caring leader. Well, again, have the courage to have the difficult conversation about, look, you know, performance isn't where we need it to be at the moment. But they'll have that conversation very early, privately and constructively, and then work together to make sure you both get to the place where you need to be. Whereas the leader that doesn't care will sort of let it slide until the year end review when they'll say, oh, sorry, your performance sucks. Why didn't you tell me? Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why don't you tell me? You know. Yeah. Um, so, so that's a good one. That's a good caring one. isn't. It, it's sort of about being nice, I suppose, but it, it, it's more about getting respect and being. Yeah, you know, the real care shows that you you support your team uh, properly and their development, and that's critical. I've had that when I've, you know, when I've seen sort of bad leaders who don't necessarily care about or see individuals developing. They're just like, I just want you to come and get the job done. And that's always um, off yeah. put me. I think, like you're saying, that really resonates, having a leader that actually wants you to develop and grow. And that does include your weaknesses. I think that's really, I can really resonate with that. And I'm sure so yeah, many yeah. people can. Absolutely. There's another you you also cover um quite significantly in the in your book around the importance of mental health leaders really um 
and it sort of sort of rolls off what we're talking about in terms of caring about you know your um your team's yeah. career but uh, in terms of mental health and creating an environment for uh, teams to thrive and it just got me thinking yeah. you know and I'm sure you've heard about this where it's, there's been this term dubbed the great resignation so after the global pandemic there's been a surge in the US and in particular people who've, who've just used yep. the time or the kind of the shift in hybrid or, or remote work and now hybrid isn't working for them and people are resigning from, from their jobs. And I've got a personal experience when I was reading this chapter as well. I actually started a role remotely and ended it remotely as well because it was such a terrible experience. Um, and so I just wanted to ask you, you know, how can leaders ensure they get this balance right and talk to us a bit more about this chapter as well? Okay, so, so there, there are lots of things you, you can do, but um, what you want is a team that's just highly motivated. Now, that the reality is that professionals, it's pretty hard to demotivate a professional because professionals are, are intrinsically motivated. And what's remarkable is how good many managers and firms are at demotivating motivated people. Um, and then they compound it by saying that they expect their managers to be motivational. Well, that, that's a tough gig. I mean, it's hard enough being a manager with, without also having to be motivational and having and actually, you can't tell people to be motivated, happy, optimistic, or positive. These things come from within. And actually, that's the big breakthrough. Recognise that yeah, things like optimism and, 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 and motivation come from within. They're intrinsic. So your job as a manager is not to motivate the team by standing on your desk or virtual desk and making a rousing speech every Monday morning, is about creating the conditions in which people will rediscover their intrinsic motivation. Now, this sounds like theory, it's not. I, one of my NGOs that I've started is, is addressing this with millions, I mean millions, of officials, teachers, and kids in Africa and uh, India uh, in their education systems. And it works. And he put in place just four things, four things. So, sorry, another nerdy thing, but this okay. is the only way I can sort of survive life. You know, I have to. <laughs> Go um, ahead, with, I like this, I like this, yeah. With, <laughs> with an acronym to make yeah. it simple, okay. RAMP, okay? It was yeah, going to be PRAM. Yeah. So look, here's what it is. Number one, supportive relationships, both vertically and horizontally. We talked about supportive relationships just now. You know, show you care, right? Show you care, as simple as that. That's the vertical one, which incidentally, that's a complete revolution from command and control, right? Yeah, complete yeah exactly, revolution. completely different. Yeah. Show you care. Mm -hmm. Right, and we talked about how you can do that instantly, and also remember, two ears, one mouth. That's another way of great, great way of showing you care. Yeah. Um, and you also do things to build the, those relationships, supportive relationships, uh, horizontally, so that you don't have, lot, especially remotely, so you don't have lots of silos. If you can, we can talk about that separately. Then the second bit, A, autonomy and accountability. Professionals don't like being micromanaged. Professionals are very good at going off and doing their own thing. So the best way to manage a professional is to manage them less. 
right? Yeah. They want to overachieve, let them overachieve. But there's a dark side to that. There's a dark side. Because professionals want to achieve and professional work tends to be amb ambiguous, the result has been that during lockdown and during remote working, professionals have gone into overdrive and worked far too hard and far too long. Because in the office, the way ambiguous work is resolved is you're always talking with each other about what's really needed. Is this enough? You know, do we need anything else? Can we close it off there? You, kind of, you can contain the work. When you're working by yourself, there's always another fact you could gather and check. There's always another opinion you could canvas. Yeah, you can always do more. So professionals keep on going on. So actually, the way, the way you manage that is by really clear accountability, clear goals, really clear goals. So, you know, autonomy and accountability march hand in hand. Goal setting turns out to be very hard on remote teams. We can cover that later if you want. But, you know, that's, again, slightly nerdy and technical. We can talk about that, but it's important. Um, so relationships, autonomy, mastery. Look, let's make this simple. It's really hard to feel motivated if you haven't got the skills to do today's job and you're not growing the skills for the job you want tomorrow. So mastery kind of matters, mastery and growth. So relationships, ultimately mastery. Oh, and purpose, P for purpose. Yeah, we all do far better when we feel with something, part of something bigger. Yeah, exactly. And we can look forward to achieving something in the future and we can look back to what we've achieved in the past with pride. And yeah, that purpose is not the corporate mission statement, and it's not about increasing earnings per share. It is personal about you know this is what it means for me. Let me give sorry one example just to make it less theoretical, right? So um, I was working with the chief risk officer of a major bank. Chief risk officer of a major bank. Yeah, everyone hates bankers. Number one, yeah, you look at the <laughs> Ipsos Mori Trust Survey, and they're down there with estate the agents and politicians. <laughs> Not a good start. Yes, right. So number one, yeah, uh, all bankers hate it. Number two, who do all the bankers hate? They hate the risk officers because yes. <laughs> the risk officers stop them doing. Tell all them the do it. Tell them no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they go around saying no the whole time. So how do you survive in that? role where you're under constant, constant attack for your entire career and everyone hates you. So I was talking to this person. He said, well, look, you know, we had a global financial crisis uh, in 2008-9. It yeah, led to 10 years of austerity, austerity popul populism, extremist, uh, uh, extremist politics, um, you know, capitalism more or less collapsed. I mean, it was a nightmare. And why did that happen? All because risk failed. There was no proper risk management. So my job is to make sure that we never have a global, another financial crisis. It's, it's to save you know, the country and capitalism from itself. And it's if that doesn't get you out of bed in the morning, yeah, the purpose, nothing yeah, will. It's true. Purpose. Yeah, it's sort of redefining that's that. That's his purpose. Yeah. So yeah. that's what gets him out of the bed. Whereas if you think, oh, I've just got to go and battle the people from the credit department again. Yeah, you, you, you're not going to survive a year, are you? Oh, my gosh, yeah. You've given but, me like a light bulb moment there because I think sometimes I find, and I'm sure many other people can find that, I get lost in the work sometimes. And I think this week I need to take a step yeah. back and think about what's my purpose? Why am I doing this? Because that yeah. that's motivating in itself as well, actually. I think you're right. That's really key. Yeah, and, and, and ultimately, you know, 
everyone is doing something which is benefiting the world. We hope, we hope. I mean, yeah. there will be some exceptions, I guess, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's that figuring out how you are in some way benefiting other people and benefiting the world. As yes. for, and maybe, and for some people, yeah, they are just interested in benefiting themselves. I and mean, that's fine if you're, if you're totally fixated. I mean, these inspirational fix, uh, speakers who talk about motivation are often actually very selfish because they're totally motivated by climbing Everest or, you know, cl- I want to be the first person to climb Everest uh, and go to Everest space. backwards <laughs> naked on a pogo stick. And yeah. it's like, oh, well, yeah, great. And, yeah. and that's, that, that, you can see why someone's really motivated by that and they've got a very clear purpose, but it's a very selfish purpose ultimately. Uh, and that's fine, but you've got to find your own own purpose on that oh I love that thank you so much for that Jim I I want to talk about you've got a chapter on you I love the way you phrase this remote working and then you say the plumbing issue right I'm interested to find out where you think we've gone wrong and to tell us a bit more about this this focus in the book so look uh, um yeah, pl- plumbing is is one of those things everyone ignores <laughs> until it gets ro- goes wrong, and then there's a crisis, and everyone's pointing finger at everyone, everyone else saying who <laughs> yeah. did what, all that sort of stuff. Exactly. So again, it gets very nasty very quickly. Um, and and here's the problem, and I, I found out this in the research. When you're at the top of the mountain, you you see the dis you know the views into the distant you know, the distance and you think in the grand thoughts about how you're going to journey into the future and all that sort of stuff, and you're completely unaware of what's going on at the bottom of the mountain of you know, the the chickens in the farmyard and the plumbing going wrong and all that sort of stuff. You're just not interested. Whereas when you're at the bottom of the mountain, you you have no idea of what they're seeing at the top of the mountain. But you're really interested in the chickens in the farmyard and the plumbing going right and everything like that. And it's not that either view is wrong or right. Both views have relevance, but they just don't understand each other. So the people at the top of the mountain really don't get it that actually when the plumbing, and by plumbing I mean things like you know, the technology infrastructure, the processes that people have to work through, really tedious stuff. When that doesn't work, well, in the office, you can sort of work around it. You can talk to people and you can shout if necessary and get out and stop it with someone and all that. But remotely, you're screwed. Sorry, that's technical management expression. It, it, it just completely messes you up. So getting that plumbing right is boring but essential. Um and, and every, everyone has their own yeah, version of what is right. Um, and I, I'm not going to flog any one platform or not, but there are a few basic principles. One is make sure everyone is on the same, <laughs> same plumbing, same technology, same platforms, because what really kills you is when everyone has got their own best systems and then you just got chaos. Second, open so open technology beats closed. So, yeah, open calendars, uh, Google Docs, not sort of um, email, all that kind of stuff works. Um, and then put in 
rhythms and routines that work. Look, this communications piece, communications, right? Complete nightmare um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, summed up by this, look, we communicate more than ever, but we understand each other as little as ever. Uh, so the technology is enabling us to communicate more than ever, but we understand each other as little as ever, not least of all because there's you know, as little trust as ever. So it goes back to the trust thing. So how do you get over that? Well, number one, you've got to tame the communications beast. Just reduce the amount of communications, please. Yes, we can spend all day on Zoom, but that is not a good way to spend the day because at some point you actually need to do some work as well. Um, and <laughs> yeah, one simple hack that quite a lot of teams now do is they start the day with a real quick YTH meeting. Sorry, another acronym. I love my acronyms here. Yeah, so, yeah, what is YTH? YTH. YTH. So everyone has 90 seconds, or if you're generous, two minutes to cover three agenda items. YTH. Y, this is what I did yesterday. T, this is what I'm doing today. H, ah, this is where I need help. Right? Help. So immediately, ah, yeah. immediately, right? YTH. Immediately, everyone on the team knows where everyone else is. Right, so a lot of that noisy communication about, oh, have you remembered to do this? What about that? Is so-and-so doing this? I thought you were doing that. What about, isn't so-and-so doing that? All that just disappears, okay, yeah. which is good. A lot of interruption, pointless interruptions go. And if you're the manager, it's really, really good because that's your accountability control mechanism. You now know, have people done Yesterday, yesterday, what they're going yes. to do, do today. Are they yes. doing today mm -hmm. what I need them to do today? And third, where do I need to invest my time? Where where do people actually want to need help? Oh, right. So, yes. you know, so control freaks in the office could interfere. Sorry, help at will. It was a nightmare. <laughs> um, yeah. Whereas white with YTH. Even the control freak now knows where to actually they can sort of get there. <laughs> invest their time, as opposed to just that. you know being the random thing. So so yeah, it's a, again there are lots of really simple things like that that you can that you can do. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm now off on hacks. Right, another hack for you. Right, thank you. Keep are them you, coming because I'm ready for another. Keep them okay. coming. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Another. Right, this is all about boundaries. Right, working from home is all about yes. boundaries. So yes. now I'm going to talk about two sorts of boundaries, end of the day and during the day. Let's talk bookending the day, mm -hmm. really important. Start the day and finish the day because when you work from home, you never leave work. So you've got to make mm. sure you actually leave work even when you are at home. Here's how okay. you do it. When you get up in the morning and you're working from home, mm -hmm. leave the house, shut the front door and go for a commute which might be a walk around the block, you know, yeah. go to the coffee shop, or get a coffee, the come back. Yeah. Yeah, gonna, and then come back to your house with your cup of coffee. And now when you come back to your house, it's your office. And you're now uh, on and you yeah. work. And at the end of the day, pack up all your office kit, put it away, out of sight, right? There was one person who was having to work in a you know a flat shirt, working from the end of the bed. So she put out a special rug on the end of the bed when she was working. And at the end of the day, yeah, fold the rug away, put it away, put all the commuters away, and then leave the house again, go for another commute around the block. When you come back in, 
your home and office is gone. So oh, create the boundaries for your home. I'm going to do that. Right? Right? Nice yeah, simple, that's right? A, that's a good when you work, And when you work, you work. And when you're at home, you're at home. Then during the day, we talked about this in communications, you've got Doom by Zoom, where you're scheduled you know, back-to-back with Zoom meetings. Yes. And it's a nightmare. It's you draining. can't do it. It's draining. You're, you're, I mean, it's straining, you get burnt out. You know, my, my eyeballs sort of roll up into the back of my head after a certain amount of time. Oh. I become a zombie. You know, yeah. it's a nightmare. So how do you so how do you avoid that? Well, we will now take a leaf out, a, a leaf out of the book of the arch enemy of workers, the original time and motion man, Frederick Wilmslow Taylor, who dedicated his life to getting workers to literally shift more pig iron you know he got them to shift i think he got them to increase their productivity sevenfold okay seven times shifting seven times as much pig iron in a day as they used to so think about that (laughs) and one of the things he insisted they did every hour was stop work for five minutes rest for five minutes even if they weren't feeling tired and he wasn't trying to be nice to the workers but he worked out by yeah, experimentation to rest five minutes every hour. Actually, you become much more productive for the other 55 minutes. Okay, And if you look at what happens in the office, you think you're scheduled back-to-back meetings, but you're not. Because you leave one meeting room, and then you sort of go to the next meeting room. And you, it might take five or ten minutes. And in that five or ten minutes, you might... well. You decompress from the last meeting, like, oh, they already get some what was that? You sort of mentally gear up for the next meeting, thinking, oh, what have I got a novel on this one? Oh, what, what are the danger signs? Oh, what have I got to achieve here? Right? You might novel someone in the corridor on the way, say hello to someone. You might go to the restroom, you might pick up a cup of coffee, and then before the next meeting, you might just sort of quickly, you know, have a chat with someone on the side about one of the agenda items. Bang. And it looks like you've had that, that frictional five, ten minutes between meetings is actually incredibly useful time. Decompression time, rest time, getting ready for the next meeting time. And that happens quite naturally in the office. Yeah, but it, it doesn't is. happen when working from home. So, sorry, stand by for tip. Very obvious tip now coming. What some firms now do is they have banned 30-minute on one-hour meetings and all meetings must either be 25 minutes or 50 minutes. So yeah. they've recreated that fi- frictional time. And it's really helpful. Because yeah. you imagine if you now get you know, five or ten minutes between meetings, you can quickly go off, you know, get that quick cup of coffee, oh, quick check social media, oh, you know, quick, okay. quick trip yeah. to the loo, whatever. You can, fine. And then you're ready for the next meeting. So yeah, that's you know, a good tip, there's a, a lot of this stuff about hybrid teams. I was thinking there's going to be some grand theory. There isn't. It's just a lot of really practical sort of little tips and techniques. But you put them all together and suddenly it's like, oh, it works. It makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. What about, you talk about about this in the book, but now people are going to be doing, I guess, hybrid versions of meetings and presentations. So online versus offline. So talk to me about what would you say in terms of your advice, in terms of getting that right now in how we give presentations and how we conduct meetings, doing it, you know, well, both, both sides. I, well, my, my simple message on, on hybrid meetings is don't do them. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. So, okay. Because, I mean, look, you can do them, obviously. Mm-hmm. But you tend to have two classes of citizen 
um, oh, yeah, yeah, those people in the room, in the room are, yeah. are the privileged ones, and the ones on the outside are literally outsiders. Now, you know, as chair, and I've had to chair these meetings, you have to be really purposeful and deliberate about making sure you go overboard in ensuring the outsiders are included at every single agenda item and that every one of them is included at every agenda item. Um, but even so, you know, you know that all the informal chit-chat is happening around the table and um, just stuff's happening and, and all the body language has been read around the table and eyebrows are being raised and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, you, you just don't get that when you're, when, when you're remote so and you just can't judge the meeting so well. So, um, yeah, the, the, the honest answer is go all remote or all in person. All in person. Um, I mean, you can. Yeah. Is it is it possible to do a hybrid one? Yes. Can you sort of make it work? Yes. But why do a second best? Yeah. Is that the same for presentations then and events? Because people are now look, thinking about yeah, doing think hybrid so. events. You think either do it either online or in person. Uh, yeah, you're no, like, no, either no, or, either or. No, yeah. no, no. Because actually, now what we know is there are things you can do on remote meetings, which are actually on, on remote presentations, remote meetings, which are better than in-person meetings. Yeah, if you yeah. use the chat function and the voting, and the voting function well, yeah, you can have really good remote meetings oh, and breakouts rooms yes, in, I love yeah, when you've got a conference well. breakout rooms yeah, yeah. If, if you try and do that at an in-person conference it takes forever to get everyone in the room yeah yeah because they're all going oh which room am i meant to be in oh and i just want to go and have a coffee oh i just want to go and read a book before doing it and oh, what was the question again and who am i with come on it's all that nonsense going whereas yeah. yeah online yeah you're in the breakout room now oh right there you are simple yeah. So, yeah. yeah, there is stuff where, uh, and in hybrid, you sort of get the worst of both worlds. Where, whereas, yeah. yeah, the thing to do with online is don't think that it's a pale imitation of the in-person event. It's different. And leverage those differences and make, make it just better. Because, you know, look, amongst other things, when you do a remote conference or meeting, yeah, remote training, brilliant. When you do in-person training, you're kind of constrained to whoever the local trainer is with the franchise theory and flip chart, which is a bit of a nightmare. I mean, they can be good, but it can also be. Whereas you do it remotely, you can say, right, who, who's the best person in the world for this? And let's get him or her online. Bang. You know. Yeah, it's true, actually. It, it may, so, yeah, so you're just, right. You know, so... so don't try and have it as a sort of second second best. Think think about how this can actually be, you know, remote can be better in some ways than in person. Than in person, I love that. And we're coming up to the end of the of our of our time, but I just wanted to just do ask you a few uh, last questions. And so going back to you, um, Joe, you. the individual, what is on your joy list apart from leadership and and delving into the world of leadership? <laughs> what else is on your joy list? Right. So, look, there's there's stuff that I get excited about. So I get yes. really excited about starting new enterprises and new NGOs and, like, you know, this one, STIR Education, Intrinsic Motivation, all that. I get really excited about that. 
And then I get really, really excited about writing new books because you know, when I have an idea, mm-hmm. I can't just have the idea. I have to work it through and get it to its logical conclusion, right? And so that that becomes a whole big thing. So my next one is actually going to be on motivation and revolution. There. So, uh, okay. so I get really excited about that. I get really excited about tribes because I think we can learn an awful lot from tribes and i have written a couple of books uh on oh, them yeah, and tribal code. wearing my wearing my tie it's lovely yeah. um uh so so whenever i can i sort of go and hang out with a tribe to see what we can learn from them in terms of leadership and survival and then personally i just i mean you know good japanese food and a lot of running that running's kept me going through a lot lockdown all that but that's not everyone's cup of tea but hey you know so but At least you've got some good things on there. Joy? Joy? Yes. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I mean, for me, that's joy. You know, what? No, but I, I, I love that. That's what gets me going. It's nice that your work brings you joy. Not many people can say that, so that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, that's very nice. We're going to wrap up with the quick fire round. So what I oh, do yeah. is I ask all this. It's, it sounds scary, but it's, 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 it's supposed to be fun. So I ask my guests all of these, the same questions, and you have to just give me a very quick answer and the first one that comes to your to your mind so the first question in the quick fire round is tell us about the trip that changed your life the most or that was the most memorable right when i took the kensington to Kathmandu bus the hippie trail okay uh in 1976 and the bus went kaput in Kabul, so I had to hitchhike out over the Khyber Pass yes. and all sorts of wonderful things like that. And uh, I was only 18 at the time, and boy, did I learn an awful lot and so, very, very, very Kensington fast where? Kensington Oof. where? Kensington where? Kensington and London. It was the magic you bus. You took a bus? It went from Kensington to Kathmandu. Kensington to Kathmandu. <laughs> but it did... It, the what? bus went. The bus went. The bus went bust in Kabul. <laughs> and you got that far? Uh, oh my gosh! Uh, and I didn't have any money. Yeah. I'd sent some money forward to Kathmandu, so I had to find some way of getting from Kabul to Kathmandu with no money. How did you do that? Age eighteen. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's, it's the quick fire round. We need another podcast on that trip because that trip just sounds completely mental. Right, next question: If you mess up really big at work, so you mess up big time, who do you call and why? Um, who do I call? Well, I I, I will call uh, whoever has suffered most from being messed up so it goes straight into the you know lion's mouth on that so so someone has probably suffered as a result of me messing up the first thing i will do is i'll call that person oh that's interesting ah wow okay. i will call that person, person. yeah and okay. st- yeah it is putting head in lion's mouth but actually normally that's a the smartest thing to do I love that. Then, I love that. Then you get straight to the root, straight to the root of the problem, and you can fix it. And, and most people are too frightened to do that. Um, and, and then the problem just festers and it gets out of hand and it gets worse. But it goes straight to the person most affected. Is it okay? What's been the toughest time in your career? Toughest time? Oh, well, I, I'll tell you the tough. 
well, there have been lots and lots of, oh, so many toughest times. I'll tell you the toughest times, though. It's, it's when I've been working for a boss I dislike, and that is just awful. so, I mean, so awful. So, so awful. And, you know, ultimately that's one of the reasons I decided to become my own boss, because I, I just was fed up working for people I disrespected. You know, occasionally you'll get a great boss, and that's wonderful. But when you're working for a boss you dislike or disrespect and, and the feelings are mutual. It's just yeah. It's just hell. And and you've got no power in that situation. You know you're gonna get stuffed and it's just like it's, an, it's, it's, it's just awful. awful. It's just yeah. depressing. Whereas okay. you know, being my own boss, boy, I mess up. I mean I have I have you know, and I've had moments where I'm I you know, complete palm faced and you know, all that. But yeah, you know, it's my problem. I sort it out, and I'm in control of my destiny. And if I want to know who to blame, I look in the mirror. Fine, you know, and and you've got that sense of control. But when you've got the boss, you you got no control, no power. And it's just well, I can relate to that definitely. So that's a okay. really good way to finish the evening, isn't it? I think we can have one last drink. I have, I have, oh, good. I know. One, one last question, so you can kind of lift up the mood. The final question is: What is this? What is the single most important thing our listeners can do to level up in their careers? So the single most important thing if they want to level up. What do you mean lead- to level up? Yeah. So basically, level up means if they want to be a leader, so to go to like to become a leader, what should they? What's the single most important thing our listeners can do? to take their career to the next level in terms of becoming a leader in their workplace? Ambition and courage. So be ambitious. Yeah. Be really ambitious. But just hoping, but, but hoping to get lucky, don't go there because hope is not a method and yeah. luck is not a strategy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> be ambitious, mm-hmm. but then have the courage to go for it. Yeah. Go for it. And that means you will take risks and you will fail and you'll need resilience and you'll need support and you'll need all those good things. But the more often you try, the more likely you are to succeed. And at some point, people say, oh, you got really lucky, didn't you? And you'll go, yes, I did get lucky. But you know what? You'll think, I know I got lucky, but I made my own luck. Thank you very much because I tried. I was ambitious. I had the courage to go for it and I tried. So I made my own luck. Did I get lucky? Yes. And I made my luck. Thank you very much. And everyone else will be saying, oh, you got lucky. And you go, yeah, fine. Right. <laughs> I love that. I love so, that. Ambitious and, and, and ambition and courage. Great. Yeah, I mean, we've come to the end. It's been great. Honestly, it's been fantastic to have you on. We could, I could talk to you for hours about <laughs> leadership and just all of the gems in your books. I really hope our listeners go out and purchase a copy. Smart work is just absolutely fantastic. So thanks so much for for joining us. No, thank I really you. enjoyed it and uh, yeah, it thanks for having me on. Great. No, thank you so much. So as usual in each episode, I have a debrief with my producer, Ryan. Ryan, hello. what do you think? Oh man. <laughs> do you know what? I was typing so many notes from that episode. There's so many yeah. actionables, you know, anybody that's listening to this podcast is going to be someone that's you know leveling up and trying to do better in a career or leading a team and mm-hmm. this is just the perfect episode to listen to especially like right now as we're in this hybrid world working remotely yes. sometimes in the office a bit of both and yeah it's just so many gems from this episode that you can apply like literally right now 
I absolutely loved Joe. I just loved him. And, and, and you know what I was thinking? I was thinking, I'm going to have to listen back to this episode when it drops and take my notes because there <laughs> yeah, were so many tips. Like I read the book, but I, I need to deep dive in the book again, but mm. also make my notes on this episode because the acronyms, like the RAMP, yes. YT, YTH, YTH yeah. you know, doing 25-minute meetings and 50-minute meetings, I... I had a light bulb moment there because I thought, right, I need to look through my calendar, mm. especially with my clients and change the times. I'm going to do that and change the times so that if I've got a 30 minute catch up, I'll make it 25. Like yeah. there were just so many actionable gems that he that he just kept giving us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. he was really, yeah, really ramp, great. Um, and YTH, so ramp was, you know, relationships, autonomy, mastery and purpose mm-hmm. and yth was yesterday today and help that was so mm. key it's like yeah everyone can so utilize key. that it's such a very quick yeah. way of you know 90 seconds what did you do yesterday what are you doing today what do you mm-hmm. need help with like how great is that it's amazing i'm i'm gonna use that i'm gonna mm, use that definitely with my team and yeah he was fantastic and i thought it was interesting when he was talking about he kind of glanced over I think he's very coy about this but he's a serious businessman entrepreneur yeah when he was talking about like his career and being a salesman and and how he just was like oh yeah you know I was part of a lawsuit for 12 billion US <laughs> but who cares like, he just didn't care and I'm yeah. like are you serious I would be freaking <laughs> I out know. but he was like oh I calculated it that you know my share would have been 10 million and it was just he was very jokey but mm. what came across was his resilience I don't think he he doesn't Seemed and he, he reminds me a lot of Nat- Natalie, yes. Natalie Campbell, who we had the co-CEO of Blue Water, and how they're both not driven or moved or shaken by um, money. Because yeah. and I thought that was really key. Like he was saying, well, if I lose it all, I can just build it tomorrow. Yeah. So simple, so simple, so simple. and but so profound. It is, it is, and yeah. I, I suppose it will it will be a challenge for a lot of people to to hear that as well um but i suppose the takeaway is look these are people at the top of their game and they have adopted or they've always always had that philosophy you know and you know from the outside success and you know being a leader and running all of these different companies can look like you need to have all this outwardly flashy money based um you know goals and outlooks but it doesn't have to be like that at all Mm -hmm. and um yeah Ultimately, that that you know, it comes down to, or it comes back to the whole idea of working smarter, you know, and mm-hmm. not not harder, and actually working for purpose. And mm-hmm. yeah, really. That really was good. another thing as well. I'm, I need to, I need to just take some notes because mm. there's there's two other things that he made me think I'm going to do this week. The thing about purpose, I feel that especially, I've kind of suddenly got into full time entrepreneurship, and yeah. I really lost this week my purpose I was being too focused on my clients expect this and I've got to deliver this and we've got to deliver 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 and I'm now going to take a step back this week and 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 really the focus now for my business is going to be on my purpose and not on the day-to-day because Mm. I was getting so fixated on what I had to deliver and you know like you know you you do have to think about profit that you know money and income and stuff but that really gave me a light bulb moment absolutely yeah absolutely and it is a it's a hard dance it is a hard dance as a leader because yeah you know going back to what Joe was saying about credibility 
you know, if you yeah. if you don't deliver as a leader mm, and, and if you don't deliver to your clients, then you lose your credibility, you know. Yeah. But then also as a leader, you kind of have to not focus so much on just the delivery because it's it's a bigger dance than that and it? it's a bit more complex. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's about the balance, isn't it? It's about it is balance, a balance, I yeah. Think. A balance mm-hmm. of being purpose-driven um, and I but suppose yeah, just showing up authentically as well and doing what you need to do. Yeah, exactly. But also, if you do mess up, what I loved is <gasps> that... That was, yes. Yeah, oh, wow. Like That one, the quick fire... Um, yeah, what you were saying in the quick fire about jumping into the lion's mouth. When if something goes wrong, it's not about calling anyone else apart from the person it hurt most or that suffered most. Wow, Ooh, that yeah. was that was a that was like I don't know if that's one of the best answers so far. I don't know. Mm. I can't. I don't know if I can say it at this point at the podcast, right? <laughs> but one of the I think most profound things I've heard this year. Definitely. Like really good advice. I thought it definitely because, took me back. Yeah, yeah. Because when things go wrong, I usually might call like my mom or you know a close friend. But actually, that was so key. Like, why don't you just call the person that's going to be most affected by whatever's gone wrong? Yeah, gem, absolute gem, an absolute gem. Mm. And what what I really liked about that is because he mentioned he kind of mentioned examples of how he's done this um, throughout the interview, and it was a about doing the harder thing. Do the hard mm. thing now. Have the difficult conversation first. Going back mm. to the whole credibility thing. Being clear about what you can and what you can't do. Like, have a difficult conversation now rather than an, an impossible conversation later. And mm-hmm. that applies now more than, than ever, you know, in a hybrid world. And, yeah, that philosophy is just so, so good. Have the hard conversation. Yeah, definitely. And I guess from finally, read the Sunday Times. You know, I used to read the Sunday Times and I kind of, I've fallen off and I'm going to start doing that so I can be more curious. You know, he was talking about how one of somebody had an idea for a business because they were reading the Sunday Times yeah, and they emailed yeah. someone. And that just made me think Sunday Times is really massive and thick and it's got so many inserts of magazines. And I used to try and read it every two weeks and I've kind of fallen off. But now mm. I want to read it if I can, on a weekly basis, just to get my curiosity. Yeah, like diversity of thought, isn't it? If we're always Mm. looking through the same feed on Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that, you might be seeing the same ideas. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's the the friend that he was speaking of showed ambition and courage Mm. of just reaching out and having a conversation. And all of a sudden they're, you know, with the Saudi ambassador. Yeah, talking about mad. creating a university in the desert like yeah, exactly <laughs> it just shows just crazy. goes to show what can happen if you do step up to the plate and um exactly yeah show ambition and courage really yeah. really good yeah loved it i really hope you enjoyed this episode and for joining me for after work drinks If you learned anything from this episode, please do share with someone you think would benefit. Don't forget to leave me a comment with what you learned, along with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people like yourself find the show. Follow us on Instagram on at AfterWorkDrinksClub. A special thank you goes to Blue Water and to Pure Creation Media for producing this episode.